after God uses, after He uses the Babylonians to accomplish His purpose and His plan in the nation of Judah, oh yes, the Babylonians fell and great was the fall of it because of their pride. And, and so, but I think about many of us. What would we have done in that scenario when we cried out to God and God said, hey, I'm going to use those wicked pagans to destroy the children of Israel, the nation of Judah. What, what would we have done? We probably would have tucked tail and run. We probably would have said, where can I go? Where can I hide? But for Habakkuk, this just caused him to cry out even more. Look with me in chapter 3. It causes him to cry out more. In fact, he's, he's praying louder and he's praising louder than ever before. You see, because in chapter 1... He starts asking God all these questions. He says, man, look at all the sin that's around me. But in chapter 3, what we'll see is Habakkuk prays a very succinct prayer. And then he offers a lot of praise. He offers a lot of thanksgiving. And so today I believe it would be fitting for you and I to see what Habakkuk does. And then as a church here at Battlefield Baptist Church, I believe it would be good for you and I to once again ask God, as Habakkuk did many, many years ago, Say, O oh Lord, revive thy work. O oh Lord, revive thy work. And so let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3 in verse number 1 and 2. In verse number 1, the Bible says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigionoth, or Shigayonah, as it's pronounced, Shigayonah. This word actually indicates, you say, what's the big deal about that last word of verse number 1? Because that actual word in the Hebrew indicates that Habakkuk's prayer was something like what we will see in other psalms. If you go back in the psalms, you'll see that his prayer is very similar to that. It was, it was kind of a rambling. It, was a, it could have possibly been a song or played upon an instrument. And so the idea is that it's a repetitive in nature. And so what you're about to see is something that Habakkuk said over and over and over again. And so this was his prayer. And you find his prayer actually in one verse. Because in verse number 3 and following, you start to see him do kind of a history lesson. And he gives praise and thanks for who God was and, and what he had been uh, doing down through the ages. And so the greater point to be seen in verse number 1 is that the prayer from Habakkuk was an impassioned plea for God to work. And notice what verse number 2 says. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. And then he says these words, in wrath. Remember mercy. I believe as believers, you and I, we have experienced God's hand of blessing. We have been the benefactors of His grace, which has been bestowed upon us in large quantities but I also believe that everywhere I turn, everywhere that I look, it's the same with you. Things seem to be waxing worse, don't they? I mean, come on, we could joke about it because we're family. But if we look to the left, we look to the right, we see all kind of things taking place. And so I have to ask myself the same question that you probably ask yourself Monday through Saturday. It's like, hey, what's the answer? What do we do? I mean, I feel like Habakkuk. It's like, God, I'm praying and you're not listening. God, do you not see these idiots that are making these decisions? God, do you not see that they're having an effect on the church of Jesus Christ? God, do you not see what is going on? God, would you not do something? And I feel like sometimes he's not doing anything, but I can assure you he's doing a lot. He, he, he's not sleeping. He's not slumbering this morning. 
But I believe that we should ask the same question that Habakkuk asked. And so I want to talk to you very quickly about the topic of revival this morning. And first of all, let me suggest that, you know, a lot of people say, well, when you talk about this topic of revival, I get nervous about the idea of revival. Well, the one thing I want you to know is that if you or I or anyone as God's child is ever going to truly experience a spiritual revival, then we will need first to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, that's not a point. That's not point number one. That's just a pre-point. Before we can even think about revival, you and I have to renew our commitment to Jesus Christ. James chapter 4 says that if we will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. That's in verse number 8. All right? But there's an implication that if I'm drawing near to God, I'm going to do some things. Because it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so if we're going to renew our commitment to God... That's going to be an important part. Secondly, I think it's important for you and I to actually understand what revival is and what it isn't. And so with that said, I want you to notice, number one, that revival is God's work. Number one, revival is God's work. Look at what verse 2 says. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. And then he says, O Lord. Years ago, and even in some, some cases today... It's, it was commonplace, in fact, I, I know a church over in Manassas that used to have this every year. It was commonplace for churches to have uh, tent meetings or revival meetings. And in fact, every year at Battlefield, in the fall, we have what we refer to as missions. What is it? Missions. Now, I keep the title Missions Revival because it's not... It's really uh, something that was already established before I came the pastor. But let me just tell you this. Just because we put up some banners, just because we put up some sad faces, just because we put up verses around the building, that will not bring revival. Revival doesn't come just because we put it in the bulletin. Hey, in October, the first weekend in October, we're going to have missions revival. We need to understand that revival is God's work and God's work alone. Listen, holding an event or a series of meetings does not quantify nor equate to spiritual revival. In fact, it's impossible to make those claims, but yet some do. You ride up and down the road, we're holding revival this week, brother. And what happened at your revival? Man, we had, we had Huntley Brown and he played the, the keys off the piano. And what else? To, well, we, we had some good food. And... Where was the spiritual revival? You see, because revival only takes place when God chooses to work. In fact, someone has said this, revival isn't a work of man, it is something that God does. It's given from above, not manufactured below. Oh, revival is a supernatural work of God that only He brings about. And sure, I would say that if we want to have revival, we're going to need to have a greater desire to live in a way that pleases God. We're going to need to have a greater passion to see souls saved, not only in Northern Virginia, but all around the world. And we must have a greater hunger for the Word of God. Oh, are we ready for revival? Mm. <laughs> in truth, I like what Billy Graham referenced years ago. Billy Graham said this. He said, we need to quit straddling the proverbial fence of Christianity. You see, because when we straddle the proverbial fence of Christianity, we have one foot in the world while we're still trying to maintain one foot in the kingdom. Oh, it can't be that way. We can't have one foot in God's Word and one foot in the world. Listen, 
Yes, we're, we're, to, we're not to uh, go out and, and uh, ignore the world. We need to go out and confront the world. I'm not talking about going out and being a hate monger. I'm not going out and talking about being hateful. I'm talking about going out with love, willing enough to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, that is the only thing that changed my life, and it's the only thing that if you're saved here this morning that has changed your life. Oh, but we need to be mindful that in the end, revival is not going to be about my effort. It's not going to be about your effort. It's not going to be about the decorations, and I love decorations. But that ain't bringing revival. Only God brings revival, and I know that. And Francis and the ladies, man, this place looks amazing today. Man, it does. It looks amazing. But you know what? As amazing as it looks, this is the only thing that will change lives. You say, well, hold on. I thought Jesus changed lives. How do you know about Jesus? You know about Him from His Word because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then verse 14 in John chapter 1 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, that's how we know about Jesus is from His Word. Listen, revival, notice back what verse uh, 2 says here in this, because here's what Scottish preacher of yesterday, Duncan Campbell, said this once. I like it. He says, it takes the supernatural to break the bonds of the natural. You can make a community mission conscious. You can even make a community crusade conscious. But only God can make a community God conscious. Notice what Habakkuk said. Because see, he recognized this as well. Look what verse 2 says. He says, O Lord, revive... What does he say? What, what, what are those words? Thy work. He didn't say, Lord, revive my work. He didn't say, Lord, revive the children of Judah. He said, Lord, revive thy work. He said, it's your work. And we need to understand that revival is God's work. Secondly, we need to understand that revival is for the church. <coughs> it ain't for America. We run up and rip and race down this road, and, and it's really funny. I even, I even laugh at these videos they've got now. you got an eight year, or eighth grader graduating from middle school. He's impersonating Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and he's doing all these things. And then they had him on late night, you know, impersonating Donald Trump. But I got news for you. We got a lot of people, and I hear a lot of people praying angry prayers about the government. I hear a lot of people praying angry things about the state house. But here's what I want to say, and Jared, here's your Twitter quote. Listen, so many people, so many people are crying about the condition of this country instead of weeping about the state of the church. Judgment must start at the house of God. Why do we think things are waxing worse? You see, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Do you not think people, I, I heard someone, someone said this, out of 300 and some odd million people, is this the best we have in the United States of America? Do you think maybe? I don't know. I'm not God. But do you think that maybe we're reaping a little bit of what we've been sowing? For 50 and 60 years? Oh man, I'd say we need God to revive His work. 
It's His work. Oh Lord, we need You to revive us. If something is going to be renewed or revived, here's the key, because I said revival is for the church. If something is going to be renewed or revived, there's an indication that it must be connected to a life source. You cannot revive something that has never had life. So quit complaining about the country. Quit complaining about those that don't know Jesus Christ. And let's start looking inward. Let's start asking ourselves the tough question. Am I being the beacon of light that I need to be? Am I being the salt that God has called to me? Am I praying the way that I should? Am I living my life in a way that draws people to the foot of the cross? Or am I living my life in a way that people say, I don't want any of that? Oh, see, we've got to quit complaining about the condition of our country and start asking ourselves about the state of the church. Oh, yes, it's like the world. You and I, Ephesians 2, 1, reminds us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. Oh, but I'm so thankful that Ephesians chapter 2 does not stop at verse number 1. You see, because in verses 4 and 5, the Bible tells us about a God who was rich in mercy. Tells us about a God who loved us with a great love and made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ in Ephesians 5.25, where it talks to the husbands, it follows it up by saying that Jesus Christ loved and died for the church. Revival is for the church. It's His work. It's His church. And every one of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus Christ are alive spiritually because Jesus Christ is our life source. He is the vine. We are the branches. Didn't He say to His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Me. Oh, He said, I'm the life source. And so, revival is for the church. It's like you and I. We have that favorite house plant. I got rid of plants because I did a good job of killing house plants. You want to know why? Because I would forget to water them. But maybe you have that favorite house plant and you come back from vacation and that, that little puppy's sagging. He like drooped over. And what you do is you put some water on it and then boom, that plant jumps right back up. You know, weeds are a lot like that too. <laughs> Just so you know, I, I didn't know some of y'all might be real specialists on weeds, but... Weeds are like that too. You water a weed, it'll grow right up. Just bigger and big. Hmm. It's like the fire. You know, in the fireplace at wintertime. You fall asleep in front of the fireplace. Oh, it's a beautiful place to kind of rest and relax. And then all of a sudden you feel a chill. You feel a draft in there. And it's because you look over at the fireplace and the embers are burned down and there's nothing but little red coals. But you know... I learned a long time ago from my dad that if I'll take that little poker and I'll poke those coals and I'll put a fresh log, what'll take place? Oh, that fire will start to blaze again. Oh, it'll be reignited, it'll be reinvigorated, it'll be renewed. And this is what Habakkuk says. He says, oh Lord, revive thy work. Listen, revival is for the church. The church is a called out assembly of baptized believers. We're not talking about giving someone new life. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm just trying to check this thing out. I, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can receive eternal life today. I want you to know this message. I'm talking about reviving the church, but this message is just as much for you as it is for anyone else. Oh, today should be the day of your salvation. But you know who will try and stop you? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you've never made a decision for Christ, you know who will stop you? A little whisper. Satan will tell you tomorrow. He'll say, man, you don't need to do that today. 
That guy up there with white hair, he don't know what he's talking about. You've got plenty of time. You've got plenty of time. You're only 40 years old. Man, you, you still got a lot of living to do. I got news for you. My mom passed away at the age of 40. Life is a vapor. I want to encourage you, if you never trusted Christ, today would be the day to do it. You might be sitting here and you might say, Pastor, why would we ever need revival? I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, doesn't it tell us, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature? You know, doesn't it tell us that he's a new creature? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I would say, yes, you're correct. But I would also say this. The Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 said that there's a battle going on. Notice what it says. I'll put it up on the screen. It says this. It says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul talks about a battle that was going on. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, listen, there's a battle going on. And when we feed the flesh, the flesh takes over. When we walk in the Spirit, we allow the Spirit to take control of our lives. Listen, we need revival because we are engaged in a battle. I talk about it and I've shared it even this week. I've talked with couple of different folks and I shared the idea of the flesh and the spirit going to battle against one another. By the way, over the next couple of Sundays, I'm going to be talking to you about living a spirit-controlled life. I started a lesson about three, four Wednesdays ago and realized that there was no way I was going to finish it. And so we're going to, we're going to do that over the next couple of Sundays. I'll be talking to you about living a spirit-controlled life. And I was telling folks that I was talking about, talking with this week that the flesh warring against the spirit is like that good old game of tug of war. You know, when you grab the rope, you want to pull as fast and as furious as you can. Paul was saying that. He was saying on one side, the flesh is pulling with all its might. But as believers, as believers, the spirit should be pulling just as hard. If the spirit is not pulling just as hard, oh, we need revival. Oh, we need revival, church. It's for the church. I think about David. And, and, you know, here's the thing. I put here, sometimes while we're doing battle, we become weak. We become tired. And dare, dare I say that we even become disoriented and even disobedient at times. And, and I was getting ready to reference David with his, after his sin with Bathsheba. If you notice, and I'll just show a few verses. If you notice in Psalm 51, uh, verse 10, and I think I only said 10, but if, if, if there's a way to pull up 10 through 13, that would be amazing. Uh, Psalm 51, verse number 10, the Bible says this, Create in me, David says, a clean heart. What he's saying, create in me a pure heart, God. And then he says, oh God, and renew or rebuild or repair a right spirit within me. He says, God, I need you to undertake a, uh, uh, some repairs, some renovation in my life. Because, God, I've, I've, I've walked away from what I know is right. God, I'm doing things that are not right. But, God, I've already asked you to forgive me, and now I need you to repair my life. And so he says, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse number 12, he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And notice what it says in verse 12. It says restore. That word restore means, God, I need you to return me 
to the starting point. I need you to return me to the point where I first loved you. God, I need you to return me to the point where I was joyous about my salvation so that I can move forward in the power of Christ. Oh, listen, that's what you and I need. There's many that have come and gone before us who need revival. I would suggest this this morning, and I'm almost done. We need revival, battlefield. We need revival, and if, if the shoe fits, you got to wear it. And only you know. See, I don't point fingers, because guess what? When you, you know what you do? And I'm going to use this so you can see. When you point a finger, you got a bunch of them pointing right back at you. Oh, we're real good at pointing fingers, aren't we? You see, we need revival when we stop reading and studying God's Word. Only you know where you're at with that. We need revival when we stop praying and praising God. We need revival when we stop living courageously in a, in a cowardly world. We need revival when we stop leading and loving our families, men. We need revival when we stop making corporate worship a priority. When we choose the world over God, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it's mind-boggling. I was talking to Pastor Skinner this past week. He said, I don't envy you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because the same thing that's taking place up there is taking place everywhere. He said, people are choosing family first without remembering who gave them their family. People are choosing kids first without remembering who blessed them with the kids. I'll stop because I'll get worked up. I don't want my blood pressure to get too high today. Oh, listen, we need revival when we stop making corporate worship a priority. We need revival when we stop receiving God's word with joy. You know what the Bible says? In the end times, there's going to be men and women who heap to themselves teachers. And the reason they're heaping to themselves teachers is because we get itching ears. By the way, I'm just the same. I would love to hear a happy-go-lucky message all the time. Oh, it's fun, fun, fun. You're such a good person and all these things and your best day is great and all this. I'd love to hear that every day. But I'm convicted when I read this word. I'm convicted. Like Isaiah said, woe is me. He beat upon his chest. Woe is me. And that's what Habakkuk did. He says, God, we need you to revive your work. We need you to do something because we can't do it. And God, I hear your plan. I don't like your plan, by the way. Why? Why would you use a pagan people to destroy us? God, well, what are you doing? Oh, we need revival when we stop serving the Lord. We need revival when we stop wanting to serve the Lord. It's ridiculous, folks. Revival is for the church. And then lastly, I close this. And I want you to really zero in on this last part of, cha of chapter 3, verse 2. Revival is never deserved. Revival is never deserved. And Habakkuk knew that. Number one, revival is God's work. Number two, revival is for the church. And number three, revival is never deserved. Notice what he says at the very end of verse number two. This has been, been on my heart all week. Notice what he says, in wrath. In wrath, what does he say? Remember mercy. In wrath, God, remember mercy. Even though judgment is what we deserve, even though we understand you're angry, God, remember mercy. Remember, you're a God of mercy. Remember, we are your chosen people. Remember, remember us in the midst of your anger. Remember us. Folks, when God sends revival, what he is actually sending is his mercy. 
When God sends His revival and He begins to work, what He is actually doing is showing you that He is still full of mercy. In speaking about Habakkuk's prayer, Matthew Henry put it this way by saying, Habakkuk does not say, remember our merit, O Lord, but remember your own mercy. And so if revival is God's work, if it's for the church and it's never deserved, what are you and I to do? What are you and I to do? I believe a good place to start would be for you and I to have a real, honest discussion with God. Individually. I believe it would be appropriate for you and I to have a real honest awareness, a recognition, and a confession of our sinfulness. What does that look like? Maybe we would say something like Habakkuk would say. God, we know you're angry. God, we understand that we have become complacent in your word. God, we understand that we are not doing what your word tells us to do. God, we understand that we have gone this way and you want us to go this way. You know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, by the way. God, we understand these things and we realize that we do not deserve what we are asking. But God, just as Habakkuk did, we are asking you to remember mercy. Have mercy upon us, God. Oh, that should be the prayer of our hearts. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah 57, verse 15, the Bible says this. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of contrite ones. If we really desire God to show mercy and to send revival, we must begin by humbling ourselves. You know what that looks like? I, was, I think it was Andrew Murray that once said, the moment you think you're humble, you're not. You ever, you ever heard that? The moment you think you're humble, you're not. You ever met somebody, man, I'm just trying to, trying to be a humble servant. You're not, because you just told me you're humble. We want to humble ourselves before God. That means we have to understand that His ways come before our ways. If we're going to humble ourselves before God, then we're going to have to do something that may, have been, may be new to us, some of us, for a long time. We're going to have to start wearing these old things out again. You say, well, I just had a knee replacement. You just pray right where you're at. Everybody else get on their knee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need to start wearing our knees out again. We need to return to the altar, which is a place of acknowledgement, not a place of embarrassment. We need to get back to that old-time religion so to speak. By the way, I'm more for a relationship than a religion. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. I'm talking about cultivating a relationship with God. Listen, God never sends revival to the proud. You know why? You say, how do you, where, where do you come up with that idea that God would never send revival to the proud? Because James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5 says that God resists the proud. He's not trying to hear from the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He lifts up the humble in due season. 1 Peter 5, 5 talks about. And so we need to humble ourselves. Second Chronicles, where a lot of you probably would have thought I would have gone earlier in this message if I was talking about revival. In chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 14, and I want to read verse 15, because we stop in verse 14 many times. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. And verse number 15 says this, 
Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. We need to humble ourselves and we need to pray. We need to add prayer as an ingredient to God sending revival. The problem is proud people never pray. We've, we've become proud in America. Look at what we got. Look at, hey God, hey, would you, would you heap down another blessing? Would you open up the window of heaven and pour out another blessing on us? Because we haven't been blessed enough, God. God, would you send me one more dollar? Would you send me one more car? Would you send me one more uh, lake house, river house, boat house, tiny house? We're even going after the tiny houses now. God, I, I want a tiny house now. I got the big house. I got the lake house. I got the oceanfront property. Now, God, could I have a tiny house over in the mountains? We're asking God to give us all these blessings, and yet... We never have a recognition, a humility, or prayer for the fact that we actually need him to work. You know, before his death in 1994, the late evangelist Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, the church is dying on its feet because the church is not living on its knees. Spiritual revival is possible. Spiritual revival is possible because my Bible tells me with God all things are possible. However, we must humble ourselves. We must be aware and alert to our sin. We must have an increased desire for God and the things of God. I would suggest also we need to be all in for serving God. You know? The question remains is do we really want revival? Or is it just another message that this white-headed preacher talked about today that we'll listen to for... 25, 30 minutes, and then we'll go out and do our own thing. Spiritual revival is possible, and also, remember, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, new life in Christ is available to all those who will repent of their sin and ask Jesus Christ to forgive them and to come in and to begin to change them from the inside out. You know, there's a gospel going around that talks nothing about repentance, but without repentance, there can be no remission of sin. I know it's an ugly word. I'm not God. I didn't create the word repent. But until we understand our woefulness, until we understand our sinfulness, until we call upon the name of the Lord, as the Bible says, and ask Him to forgive us of our sin, you could trust in all the things you want to trust. But you're not going to be saved until you ask for forgiveness. I think that's the problem. I think a lot of people have asked to be saved. Because it's good. I want to get in on the benefit of salvation. I want to get in on the benefit. I'm headed for heaven, brother. Well, did you ever ask God to forgive you? Have you ever realized that you were a sinner? That I'm a sinner? That we're undone? And so today, I encourage you to do this. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord, do that.